Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man who swallowed a piece of ice yesterday, and it still hasn't passed. It's Dale. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that, man. <laughs> waiting on the way to a little chilly in. I wonder how long it before you need to check WebMD or something. I don't know. Better look, Google that right quick. Google, Google. You, you ain't doing nothing else. On the Google machine? You always said if I was going to get choked on something, I hope it's a piece of ice. Oh, yeah. That way it'll melt before I get my brain damaged. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, bud. You got any good shout-outs for us? Yeah, we got a, we got a few here, man. Uh, I think we are racking up a little bit after Bizarre Nate gave us a... Bizarre Nate? Yeah, you know, like... Uh, bizarre five star yeah after he gave us a good review there we have a few more come rolling in and we appreciate them so much uh b girl b-e-e-g-i-r-l b girl 1978 gave us a really good one hey, b girl yeah that was we appreciate north carolina girl all right yeah mayberry and stuff oh, she's from up around mount area i think i yeah. reckon yeah yeah tell andy we said hey well you know a little problem with that <laughs> tell andy goober says hey yeah <laughs> you know what he means uh and we also got one from Antonio Garcia, which was really cool. So, man, we really appreciate these five-star reviews. Yeah. It really helps us. Yeah, we do. That's where it is. Anybody else wants to go on to Apple Podcast and leave a five-star review and rate and all that stuff, please do it. Please do, Or man. any other podcast platform you listen to, if they allow it, click that five-star. Yep. It helps us out a whole big bunch. Big bunch. Yep. And we like big bunches. Yep. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and... Give a shameless plug to our website. Go on there and check out the store page. Get you a t-shirt. Get you one. Yeah. You need one. I think uh, Bizarre Nate got one. He did. Yeah. He was rocking it the other day. He was a happy guy. Yeah. I was too. I was like, yeah. look at that. That's awesome. Yeah. Good looking shirt. It is. He got the dancing one. Yeah. Don't tell dancing. Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> but right. It does look good as hell. Though. That's it. <laughs> it, is, it is a cool shirt. It is. But don't forget, you guys, also, we're looking for folks to, to drop in and uh, do our tagline for us. It's about time to do one, so drop a few of those in, if you don't mind. And we had some people reply to that when we first started that, so we've got to get in touch with those folks that they want to do it. Yeah. So, uh, about time to do one, so we can get one in here. Yep. Got any uh, questions or comments or whatever, just email us at crackhousechronicles at gmail.com. Yep. All right, bud, we are going to get into our episode. We better than damn tornadoes and stuff. Thunderstorms and all that mess. Yeah, and we'll be getting fussed at because we go on over two minutes. Oh, damn it. But anyway, this is a North Carolina case. It is. And I'm sad to say, Dale, this is not a murder or a missing person. Man, I'm going home. We're actually totally changing it up this week. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but this is a good case and something we've thrown back and forth and want to do. And it is true crime, so that's what we do. So that's why we're doing it. That's what's on the marquee, ain't it? That's what's true on crime, baby. True crime, and this is a crime. <laughs> so, and it's North Carolina. Nobody got killed. At least they almost didn't get killed. They kind of, sort of, almost got it. Yeah, but this is the Loomis Fargo bank robbery. This is a big left turn from what we usually do, but this is going to be fun. Yeah, this took place on October the fourth, nineteen ninety-seven. October the fourth. Yep. Now. Just prior to this, about a year before this in 1996, Dale, just to give a little bit of backstory. Okay. There was a, a girl named Kelly Campbell. I think her and her husband were at a cookout or something. She had a former classmate of hers. His name was Steve Chambers. Yeah. And I think they were sitting around playing cards or something. They were, as we say, shooting the shit. Yeah. And <laughs> David knew that Kelly had worked at Loomis at one time. 
and then she had quit to uh, be a stay-at-home mom. There you go. Yeah, that's what she's going to be. But Steve brought up the idea of uh, Robin Loomis. Right. Well, I think he was all tired of being broke, so. They never had They much. was just going around talking junk, and she thought he was joking. Yeah. Yeah, but him being a criminal kind of guy, he wasn't joking. Mm-hmm. He really thought they could pull this off. Yeah. He'd been a, he's got a lot of a rap sheet. But Kelly always said he had money. Always seemed to have money mm-hmm. somehow or another. Well, you know, he said he already kind of done stuff like uh, loan sharking and drug dealing, and he might have done a murder. Oh, he might have mentioned that. Yeah, we're not which gonna, is kind of weird. I don't yeah, know. We're not going to get that. that murder part. No, no murders today. But anyway, they were sitting around shooting the shit like Dale said, and <laughs> Steve had, Steve had brought up the idea of them robbing Loomis, and Kelly didn't think too much about it. You know, she's kind of brushed it off in a way but you know she's been tired of being poor yeah this living in a trailer living week to week yep and not having much yeah i think her and her her husband had been on and off a little bit because she was just sick and tired mm-hmm. you know like you said just being poor yeah yeah so the more they thought about it, the, the the more better it sounded but now when kelly worked at loomis she gained a friend there yeah and his name was David Gant. Right. And they knew that if he was going to pull this off, they was going to have somebody on the inside. So yeah. they thought he would be the, the perfect guy. Yeah, and he still worked there. He was act, he started out as a as a uh, truck driver, and then he became a vault supervisor, I think. Yeah. He moved up and was making $8.15 an hour. Man, he was knocking it down. Yeah. What does that come out to today? We figured oh, it was thirteen seventy six something like that. Yeah, an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And David was working about 70, 80 hours a week. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. And not being at home any or anything like that, just having it rough. Yeah, and he was doing all that, and he was still not had any money, and he was basically in the same situation everybody else was. And so, he, you know, I'm sure he was uh, ripe for the picking. Yeah, but she called him up and sort of threw this out there at him. Yeah. I think we're just chit-chatting, and then she said, let me ask you something. Yeah. And he said, what you going to ask me? And she asked Matt, and he's like, <laughs> and then uh, the more he thought about it, I guess it started sounding good to him, too. Yeah. It's just mull on it for a little while. Yeah. But some time had passed, and David had uh, got a credit card bill in the mail. Mm-hmm. We love him, don't we? Yeah. And when he opened that bill up, he got to reading the fine print on it, and it said if he made the minimum payment on that credit card bill, it would take him how long? He would have it paid off in 30 years. And I'm telling you right now, this pissed David off. He's like, damn. This pissed him off big time. <laughs> well, plus it was already, they were strapped for cash. I don't know if his wife worked or not. I don't, I don't, I don't know. So I hadn't seen that information anywhere, but they, they, you know, they were really strapped and she held the purse strings tight. She wouldn't let him buy nothing. She always told him we wouldn't let him smoke in the house. She was, had him pinned down pretty good and mm-hmm. had on a real tight budget and wouldn't let him buy anything. So they were really strapped, and he was working 80 hours a well, week. He was only making eight fifteen an hour. So. Yeah, yeah, but dang, man, if you're working 80 hours a week, you think he can buy you something sometime. You get a beer once in a while? I reckon he's putting on credit card. <laughs> I guess. It's going to take him 30 years to pay it off. Damn. But anyway, when he got that bill, I think I struck a chord with him because it it just so happened Kelly had got a hold of him just soon after that and asked him what it would take to pull this off right and he told her I need a fake ID yep he said I'm gonna need me an ID or a passport or something so I can get out of the country yeah if I'm gonna have to do this right they gonna know it's me yeah so he's gonna have to get out of the country Mm -hmm. no doubt about it 
So this pretty much got the ball rolling on this. But it just so happened while they were planning this deal, there was another robbery going on mm-hmm. for Loomis Fargo. And just seven months earlier before this, on March the 29th of 1997, this took place in Jacksonville, Florida. There was a guy by the name of Philip Johnson. He stole $18.8 million from Loomis Fargo. Mm. And it was an armored vehicle, and he was driving it. Right. And I think he made his way all the way up to Asheville, North Carolina with it. Mm-hmm. Put it in a storage building or something. Yeah. Yeah. But they caught up to him, but they ended up catching Philip Johnson. Just a little bit of history on Wells Fargo and Company, Dale. They date back to 1852. And Loomis Fargo Company, they were established in 1997. And they were a merger of Wells Fargo Armor Service and Loomis Armored Incorporated. Right. And the resulting corporation, they employed about 8,500 people. Damn, that's a lot of people. Yep. And provided armor service transportation, cash handling services, and automated teller machines maintenance. Right. So they were a pretty big outfit. Right. But now, like we said, David Gant has struck up a relationship with Kelly Campbell. And they continued a relationship even after she had left. Now, in August of 97, Kelly had told David of an old high school friend of hers. He could assist David in pulling this off. Right. He had a plan. Yeah. He had a plan because he was a mastermind. Yeah. He would had all this stuff he could he could do, supposedly. And he could get it done in one night. Yeah, so she's trying to work on David to get him to agree to it. Yeah. Yeah. And the plan for David to commit the robbery and then quickly leave the country for Mexico, but to leave the bulk of the cash with Steve Chambers. And Steve would then occasionally wire David money to, I guess, to take care of his basic needs while he was out of the country. Right. Now, they had really kind of um, read up on how the FBI, or so they thought, handle these things yeah david had read the book right and uh he said that uh you know after the first year they're really on you and then the second year they kind of go down to about two ages on the case and by the third year is just a file on the shelf right yeah cold case yeah so they figured if they could they could pull this off he said well if you'll you'll do the the bulk of the work and then head off to mexico we'll hide all the cash and everybody lays low for two years and then we're good Mm -hmm. and we're golden you know Mm -hmm. so it's like, okay, sounds good to me. Now, with all this in place, with their little plot in place, the night of the heist, David had sent a newly employed co-worker home early. I think he was a trainer. Yeah, well, you know, he was the manager, so he knew at, at certain times he was a, he was the one to shut down the, the facility by itself. Mm-hmm. And well, as soon as he seen on the schedule when that was, that's when he said, okay, this is the date we got to do it right here. And then when he went in that day, he didn't know he was going to have to train a new guy. Yeah. So anyway, he went in, and it really didn't affect, you know, the situation, but it just took him a little longer, I think. Yeah, and I think he sent him home about 6 p.m. that evening. Yeah, well, got, you know, when they got to quitting time, usually it's always, I think it's supposed to be two people in there at all times. Mm-hmm. And being him a new guy, as soon as they got ready for him to shut down everything, he kind of went through the motions of doing everything, but he really didn't lock down the vault. And he just told the trainee to go on home. And him being first day, he was he was kind of tired and ready to get out of there. So he didn't know any better. So he just rolled out. He took advantage of that young guy. Yes. His, so it was really a come in handy, actually, yeah. to have a new guy there. Mm-hmm. So this one, David supposedly removed the cassette tapes, video VHS cassette tapes from the recorders. Yeah, he went to the security room and took 
that's the way their uh, their cameras will set up then to record onto a video cassette tape, uh, yep. VHS tape, and over he, time. And he took two of them out and yep. uh, hit those. Yep. And this is when he proceeded to load seventeen point three million in cash yeah. into, into the back of the company van. Approximately eleven million of it was in twenty dollar bills. Right. And that's when he was in there doing it. And he he told him he would be, you know, 5.30 or I think between 6, 6.30, whatever, he'd, you know, he'd be ready to go. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the rest of the people, Chambers and um, Kelly. Kelly Campbell and, and a couple other people they had pulled in to help them to, to uh, transport the money were waiting across the road. Yeah. And what they didn't realize, this was taking some why it was taking so long. Because it was, with all that money, it was about 2,700 pounds. Yeah, almost 3,000 pounds of money. Yeah, and they said the stack was about nine feet long and four feet high. Yeah, so he had to move all this by himself, load it to a pallet, and put it on the van. Yeah. And, uh, so, so it took a so while. So it took him a lot longer. And, and then they were, that's back when they were using pagers and stuff, and like, oh, uh, Chambers was getting worried because they'd been sitting there so long, and like, where is he at, where is he at? And he would give Kelly the signal to call him. And Kelly had his uh, had David's cell phone. Yes. And uh, she would... uh. She was uh, paging him. Yes. Everybody had pagers. She would hit him with a page, and he's like, damn. So he had finally called her back from the, the Loomis phone and said, look, you guys got to quit. Leave me alone for a minute. This stuff is taking me way too long. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was in there trying. He wasn't like he, would, he had got cold feet or not. Said, And he said himself, you know, once he got rid of the, the trainee, it was a, really a come to Jesus moment with him for himself. You know, it's like, well, am I going to do this? Do I got the guts to do it? You know, it's fucking, after I put $1 in his van, I might as well take it all. So yeah, that's what it did. Took mm-hmm. it all. But what David didn't realize was there was another video camera that was recording. He didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. This, this was in a whole separate cabinet. Cause I guess they didn't going to tell you everything, you know, but this camera got everything. <laughs> yeah. This was probably the worst one. It's yeah. Basically got him unloading or loading and, the van, the whole thing. Yes. And it's showing the video. I hadn't seen the video, but everything I've heard about it uh, shows him in the vault doing a little jig and a little dance. Right, yeah, after he gets it all done. Yeah. So so he gets it all in the van, he cranks it up, gets ready to roll out, and he gets to the gate, and he can't get the gate open because mm. it's too heavy. Yeah. And they said that uh, they sent one of the guys who was there to help him, and I'm not sure which one They it sent was. Steve Chambers to help. He went over and opened it and said, don't worry, because it was, was shocked him because he didn't know who was a, who who is. Yeah, but he wasn't supposed to see him, so yeah, I think he covered his face covered or something. Covered his face up with something, yeah. And he went over and helped him undo the gate. So yeah. at this point, he didn't really have no choice but to let him help him. That's it. It's like, oh, shit. So then they went. They were going to go leave there and then go to uh, northwest Charlotte and um, meet in a parking lot of a graphics company. Yes. And this is where they're going to uh, split the money up. Yeah, and put it into uh, their own vehicles. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they drove off to a, a printing business that was called Reynolds and Reynolds. Right. In northwest Charlotte. One of these dudes worked there. Yeah. And from there, the money was moved from the company vehicles to private vehicles. Well, when they got there, they pulled in. The reason they used this place, one of the guys worked there, and they knew the parking lot was secluded. Mm-hmm. So once they pulled up, David, he just grabbed like $50,000. And he was getting the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, because he knew that was the the maximum amount he could take across the border into Mexico without well, being flagged yes. or whatever. Yeah. So he and Kelly left, right? Yeah. So they left. What happened is he pulled up in the van. He got that much money out, gave them the keys, 
and jumped in another car and took off yeah. headed to the airport and it was a key ring with about 200 keys on <laughs> it, was, it was like an eight inch key ring with 200 keys on it and they slammed the door so once they took off they went over and started opening the van and it was locked yeah. <laughs> so now they got to go through all these damn keys to figure out which one opened the van so it took them 10 minutes to figure out the key yeah and said so it was getting frustrated and they're scared to death and so they started trying to bust the windows out of it to get in it and then they're guess they didn't realize it was an armored van and bulletproof windows you're not busting them out mm-hmm. but i'm sure it was in a you know a panic you know yep. trying to figure it out but once they did and they got it open and started unloading money so david he went to columbia south carolina yes to get on an airplane to go to mexico right but what he didn't realize dale there was no uh international flight out of columbia south carolina no flights to mexico anyway no so he had to get on a bus Yes, I think uh, Kelly called Chambers and said, what do we do now? <laughs> He's like, well, put them on a bus and go to Atlanta. I know they fly to Mexico. Yeah, and David had all this cash on Every, him. Everywhere. Everywhere, underwear, socks, shoes. That's a lot of money to be carrying. And yeah, especially in $20 bills. Yeah. <laughs> $50,000. Yeah. So he did get to Atlanta and got on an airplane. Yeah, and said, you know, it was kind of, he said he had a freak out moment. Actually, before this, when he was driving the van, he come across a Charlotte Mecklenburg police officer and he about had a heart attack. Oh yeah, and said he had to grab a cigarette and hit, and then the, the, the cop went another way, you know. But just one of them moments, you know, his heart dropped. Mm-hmm. But then once they got there and they got the everything, they'd bought the they had brought um, uh, three big fifty-five gallon drums to store the money in. Yeah, so they was filling them up, and they were covering them with dog food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just filling them full of money and then just a, a, a dog food on the top, a couple inches of dog food on top. But they didn't bring enough barrels. No. Basically, they, they run out of room and had to leave $3 million in the van. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just in, in small bills, wasn't it? Yeah, fives and ones. God, like, that was a lot of money just in fives and ones. Yeah. $3 million. Like, damn, you should have just left that in the vault. Yeah. But David left for Mexico, and he uh, wound up at the resort island of Cozumel. Right. Now, before when uh, after she had called him or called uh, Steve Chambers to see what the deal was before they went to Atlanta, she went ahead and broke David's heart. Oh yeah, because she, she had, he was wanting her to go with him. Yeah, the plan was that they them two were going to take off and go together. She had been leading him on this whole time. Yeah, making it a little like he, uh, they was having some kind of little romance thing going, and he was eating it up, and all she was doing was using him for this. Basically, I, I think Steve Chambers, the, the guy behind all this, was yeah. telling Kelly to do this. Just do whatever you got to do to make him agree to this. Yeah. Even give him a little kiss here and there, you know, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so once he got there, and then she's like, uh, I'm not going. So that's when he had to get on the bus by himself and go, yeah. go to Atlanta and fly to Mexico. It had to be tough, man. Yeah. But he got to Mexico. Yeah. And so he was living it up for a while. Oh, yeah. He was uh, fishing. Eating all the fine restaurants. Just, you know, he was big Shopping. Time. Yeah, said, you know what? It was really hard to, to break a habit of shopping at Walmart. I could shop at all the fine stores now. Yeah, but now the next morning. Well, next morning first, you know, um, you know, David didn't tell his wife none of this. No. So he just kissed her goodbye that morning like it was any regular old morning. Went to work, and he just didn't come home. Mm-hmm. So she filed a missing persons report and said, you know, he didn't come home last night. I'm worried. I don't know what's going on. He'll never do this. Uh, so... They had got that report about the same time that these guys were getting to Loomis. Yeah. So the next morning, they could not open the vault. Nope. And they called the police. Right. And then the police called the FBI because most of the money 
handled that the facility belonged to banks, which technically made it a bank robbery. Oh, yeah. It was under Federal Reserve. Yep. So when the the cop went there looking for for, for David yep. and found his truck in the parking lot, and the gate was open and went in, and that's when he called, and he got there, and they knew something was going on. Yep. Yeah. And he was the only employee unaccounted for the next morning. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the videotape recovered at the Loomis Fargo Charlotte office showed Gant removing cubes of cash and loading it into the Loomis Fargo armored van for mm-hmm. over an hour. He was working his tail off. You know he was. Uh, two days later, when the FBI found the Loomis Fargo armored van. Yeah, some guy was cutting grass and found it about 10 miles from where it was. Yeah, they discovered the $3.3 million in cash left in the van. Right. And they also discovered the two missing tapes. Two missing tapes, the two uh, rings of keys, the vault keys, and David's... Um, Wedding ring. No, that was in his truck. Oh, was it? Okay. David's gun. Oh, that is right. Yeah, they found the gun. Yeah, now speaking of the wedding ring, when they searched his truck that was left at the facility, they that's found his it, wedding ring in the ashtray. They found his- so they didn't know if actually if David was leaving them a clue to, you know, to say, help me, or if he was leaving a clue to say, ha-ha, I did it, come get me, or, or what. You know, so at this point, they really don't know if David was being forced to do this or if it was something he wanted to do. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if he was forced to do this, then they, they don't know if they're looking for a body or if they're looking for a, a robber at this point. Or just a sign of him ending his relationship with his wife. Right, yeah. So right now, nobody knows anything. Mm-hmm. Now, the FBI investigation was able to quickly connect David and Kelly. But connecting David to Chambers was a lot more harder. Right. Now, they knew that the, the Campbell and Gant knew each other because you know, just from questioning people at uh, Loomis, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, you might want to check hers because they were always, you know, together or, you know, it seemed like they had something going on. wasn't really obvious or whatever, but they were always talking and always hanging around together, so you might want to talk to her. So yep. they went and talked to her. And she pretty much downplayed it, saying, you know, yeah, I know him, and we might have smoked pot or something together or done some drugs, but we didn't really hang out that much. Mm-hmm. So she was pretty much telling them a different story than what they had heard from everybody else. Yeah, but it was not until the FBI recorded a phone call from Gantt in Mexico that the final connection was made. And, yeah. And it was by then the FBI had become greatly concerned for David's personal safety. Yeah. You know, because he went down there and spent it spent up a bunch of money and then he would call and tell them bring him some more money bring him some money yeah and then they sent um a friend of theirs uh, mike mckinney down there to take him some money and uh, i think they gave him like 10 grand to take him and once he got there it was only like eight yeah well he went there one time and with 10 grand and spent it all yeah yeah and didn't even hook up with yeah, him said he couldn't find him yeah so he went down there and had a good time <laughs> he went down there and partied and went back. <laughs> yeah. Said, said he couldn't find him. Said, no, you need to take him some money. Right. So then he went back, and that's when he got there, and he still only had eight. So he probably blowed 2000 on something when, once he got there again. Yeah. So by this time, David was feeling like, you know, they need, I need to get more money in this. Right. And he was he was pissed off because he wanted him to send him 50 like he had. Yeah. And he said, actually, he didn't know who this Mike guy was. He they, he's, uh, was using the name as Bruno. <laughs> yeah. And said so he just kind of knocked on his door and said, you're looking for help from Charlotte. And he's like, oh, yeah. So that's when he gave him the money. He kind of pissed him off. Mm-hmm. And that's when he's like, wait, what the hell's going on here? Yep. But anyway, meanwhile, while all this is going on, the Chambers – they have not really holding up their end of the bargain. They yeah. ain't sitting on the money. Steve Chambers and his wife, Michelle. Yeah. They're uh, starting to spend some money, and it's yeah. getting noticed. And there's a couple other people who's spending up some money. I think Eric Payne, who was one of the 
one of the ones that uh he paid to help him out i think he paid him 100 grand or something like yeah. that to help him out and some other stuff he was spending up some money he had like uh paid off a credit card and um uh i think he uh he bought a he, he leased a Cadillac, kept it for a little while, and then he got rid of that and got a, like a Tahoe or something. But uh, and then he had like a, his daughter's birthday was coming up, so he rented a limo to come pick them up at the mm-hmm. trailer, and they all went out to eat and stuff for a birthday. And then, Fed them steak. Yeah. And then he planted a trip somewhere to, to Florida or somewhere anyway, and he got first-class tickets. He was just slinging around money, mm-hmm. to, like, and a lot of people were noticing. Yeah. Because they know he ain't got this kind of money. He he tried to tell them that he inherited it, but there was nobody buying that. Well, Kelly and her husband got to spend the money too. They were Kelly was buying her kids uh, video games, bicycles, toys, mm-hmm. and Kelly's mom had even asked her, you know, or, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, uh, how can you afford all this? Right. Well, you know, they lived in a trailer. I mean, they didn't have no money. And she didn't work. Yeah. So they're all spending money, but not near as bad as the, the chambers. Uh, the chambers. I mean, they were like. High rolling. Yeah, they have no intentions of laying low. No. Now, Steve and Michelle, they moved from their mobile home in Lincoln County to a luxury home in Kramer Mountain. This was in Cramerton, North Carolina. Yeah, just, just right down the road here. I mean, they they bought this house. It was a six hundred and something thousand dollar house, and he bought pay cash for it. Yeah, <laughs> dumbass. And it had uh, marble foyers and. I think five bedrooms, six baths. It was crazy. Yeah. This is a super nice house. Yeah. And then it went on, you know, and then ended up, they were buying, they bought so many furnishings that they couldn't even keep up with everything they were, she was buying. And, and then started uh, trying to put money in banks and said that uh, Michelle, first thing she did, she went to the bank just a couple of days after the heist and went in with a uh, bag full of cash. And asked the woman how much that uh, she could put in without getting flagged. And yeah. the lady said $10,000. So she gave her $9,500 and said, Shh, don't worry, it's not drug money. Yeah, <laughs> but already flagged it as suspicious activity. Yeah, as soon as she's like, okay, flag. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But they had, they had kept all the furnishings from the previous owners of that house and included a painting of Elvis on black velvet. You said you wanted one of them, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I'd love to have one. And <laughs> they also bought a BMW Z3. It's a white convertible. Mm-hmm. And they paid cash for that. Everything. Paying cash for it. And they bought a $600 cigar store Indian. Crazy. And Kelly used part of the money to buy a Toyota Sienna minivan in two cash installments. Yeah, at least she broke it up into two payments. Yep. Um, here's ten thousand. I'll be back next week with another ten. Right. So they was they were doing this and they were putting lots of money in the banks. They were eight hundred here, three thousand here. I mean, just and they had so much money they were paying people to go and rent um, safety deposit safety boxes. deposit boxes to put money in. Their the relatives were doing this for yeah. Them. So they would say, "Well, we'll give you this much money to go open up a box so we can store some cash in it." Mm-hmm. What the hell? And even. Uh, Steve even bought his wife a early Christmas present. He yeah. bought her a three and a half carat diamond ring. Yeah, forty three thousand dollars. Yeah, and then bragged about it. Kept yeah. that I'm gonna have to get her some insurance so she she can wear that forty three thousand dollar ring around. And Michelle got a boob job. Yep. And I think her sister's got boob jobs too. He's just handing out the boobs, huh? No, he is. Two at a time. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> She was wanting her, her butt done too, wasn't she? Yeah. 
liposuction. Yeah, but she's gained a few pounds. It's just they're just doing a lots of silly shit. Daddy, true. But now in the meantime, David was uh, the one that robbed the vault. He was still in Mexico. Yeah, and he stayed at a luxury hotel and paid for expensive foods and activities. Like we said, scuba diving, parasailing, and David reported to Chambers that his supply of money was running low. Like we said, but. Chambers had sent Gant $8,000. Right, like we said. Yep. And in order to conserve his money, um, he took various measures to change his appearance, such as shaving um, after a, a patron in a restaurant pointed out that he looked like the man who robbed the bank. Yeah, and he said that, uh, you know, like when he was in the, um, in the airport in Atlanta, he said a lady come up to him and go, you know who you look like? And he kind of flipped out and said, you look like Boris Becker, the tennis player. He's like... You know, he said, "No, no, no, I'll, I'll live here." Blah blah blah. So, when he's at the, at this restaurant, said this guy come up to him, said, "You look familiar to me." And he's thinking, "Yeah, Boris Becker." And the guy goes, "You look like uh, that guy that robbed that robbed that truck and got all that money." And he's like, "So I, that's when he went back and shaved his beard and yep. started trying to dye his hair and stuff to lay low. Started staying indoors as much as he could during the day, and he would only come out at night." All right, now Dale, to tie all this together, they got to noticing that everybody was spending all this money. And depositing all this money, yeah. And the FBI got to monitoring their phone calls. Yeah, well, they um, put up a, a five hundred thousand dollar reward and said, you know, tips just came flooding in. You know, originally they had actually was going to be on um, America's Most Wanted, and uh, said that they had they had set up their uh, database and had all these uh, agents come in to answer the phone and was getting ready for all these floods of calls, and then all of a sudden they come up and they said. Uh, America's Most Wanted will not be seen on the East Coast was preempted by a baseball game. Yeah. So they got knocked out of that. I thought that was pretty funny. So, mm-hmm. But then when they said they had a $500,000 reward for any information on this, tips started flooding in. So everybody was calling and giving reports, and that's when they started getting all these reports about these all these people spending all this money. Yeah. But they got to monitoring their phone calls, tapping their phone calls. Yeah, they went to a judge and told him what was going on, and they was afraid that uh, something was going to. If they they kind of knew what was going on, they they couldn't prove this was the the Loomis money, but they knew something was up, but they didn't know what. So they got uh, a little bit to tap the phone. Well, they knew it was the Loomis money when uh, <laughs> Michelle Chambers went to the bank to deposit money again. Yeah, yeah, and it had wrappers on it from Loomis Fargo. Yeah, she she left a damn wrappers on the damn. Money. How stupid is that? And then one of them was even initialed by somebody from Loomis. Yeah. So they, and by this point, the FBI were on them so hot that they were agents in the bank when she went there. They knew where she was. They was mm-hmm. following them. They knew every move they moved. They even had airplanes to fly overhead to keep track of them when they were out. So yeah. they knew exactly where they were. And they knew this was from that heist because they hadn't been any money coming out of that uh, Loomis Fargo vault. Well, they checked that wrapper, and that wrapper was uh, initialed by someone who hadn't even worked in the vault after the the uh, robbery. Mm-hmm. So they knew this was pre-robbery money, so it had to be that. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah, they stupid. As, they dumb as a rock. I mean, they even bought a furniture outlet store. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, they were yeah. just slinging around money everywhere. Yeah, they bought that furniture outlet store and was selling everything it cost. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I don't get it, man. You know, and I don't know. I was kind of like going, you know, doing research. Everybody's just pointing out how stupid people from around here are. I'm going, it was kind of pissing me off the more I think about these people. It's pretty damn stupid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Because, actually, this this plane could have worked, Donnie. Oh, it could have, yeah. I agree. 
you know, they could have they could have got away with it if they. Well, I say they got away with. It. They could have gotten away with it a lot longer if they were to just laid low. I mean, you can't go from living in a trailer to buying a six hundred thousand dollar house and paying cash for it. You cannot go from the outhouse to the penthouse. No, not unless you Beverly Hillbillies or something. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you better just laid low and just laundered a little bit of that money here and there in a business or something, started a business. Well, they could just, have bought, you know, nice stuff and just make payments on it. Yeah. You know? I mean, you could have to take some for a little bit of down payment and, you know, make payments on it. Don't mean you have to go to work. You can just, you know, here and there. But I don't know. It's just stupid. I think uh, <laughs> I think Steve Chambers had told the neighbors that he was a football player. Yeah, he said he was an ex-Dallas Cowboy. Because <laughs> when he moved in this, I and mean, this is a super nice uh, gated neighborhood, you know, and everybody's like, well, you know, because and then they said Kramer, you know, Kramer's not that big, really. And uh, actually said it was in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the world's shortest Main Street at 75 feet. So, I mean, come on, Jeez. it can't be too damn big. But, you know, we all been to Cramerton. But, you know, it's just a uh, – so, you know, when you moved in a neighborhood, everybody's going to – they're going to get on the nosy, you know, and go oh, over yeah. and see what's going on and how you doing, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Especially yeah. in a neighborhood like that. Yeah. Well, I'm an ex-football player. and this, well, He's a big guy, so you can kind of pass off of that. But he's, he's an ex-Dallas Cowboy. You know, like the mayor said, she just lived a couple houses down from him. And she was like, well, no, the guys know this guy's name. I don't know about this Dallas Cowboy stuff. And said that, uh, you know, Michelle was saying, well, you know, he's an ex-football player and went up to Atlantic City and he hit it, he hit it big up there and, He's selling yeah. off a lot of his laundromats out in Texas and blah, blah, blah. Just anything they could come up with stupid to say they got money. Ex-Dallas Cowboy and having laundromats. <laughs> yeah. Damn. We got a bunch of them out there in Texas. Yeah. They got, <laughs> they got a lot of dirty clothes. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be laundering stuff, but it wasn't clothes. They just wasn't that smart. But now, after successfully tracing David's phone call, FBI agents and Mexican police arrested David Gant on March the 1st, 1998 at Playa del Carmen. It's the city near Cancun. Right. Yeah, you know, the, the thing was, they didn't nobody know where he was. And uh, Chambers, was, at this point, was like, look, he keep asking for money. We just got to get rid of him. Let's they just, were going to kill him Let's off. just kill him. And then, because he's our only connection to the money. If we get rid of him, we're scot free. Mm-hmm. And uh, But they didn't know where he was. They knew he was in Mexico. The feds didn't know nothing at all. And they still didn't know if he was dead or alive at this point. But so that when they started, you know, uh, tapping the phones, and uh, they said, you know, I didn't know this, but when they tap the phones, you only get they only give them so much time, and then after that, you have to get out. If you don't get the information you're looking for, then tough shit, you know. Yeah. And said they were almost at that point when they got a call and said they were supposed to that uh, Kelly had called Steve and said, "Guess who I heard from? You know, he's wanting some money." So, mm-hmm. hmm. so then that's when they started checking. And they actually heard him on the phone, so they knew it was him. But they still didn't know where he was. And so this when Steve's like, "We need to you find out where he is next time he calls, and we're gonna get rid of him. We're gonna send Bruno back down there and take care of this." Yeah. And so when she called again, he kind of they said, you know, somebody came down there to want to bring him some money and said, that "You need to watch out. I think they're gonna try to kill you." Yeah. It was an inside guy or whatever. So he gave him a couple grand, just don't say anything or say he saw me. And, um, so, But he always called Kelly because he didn't think she was in on it. She, he still thought that uh, she loved him or whatever. Yep. And then she eventually told him, said, yeah, go ahead and kill him. Yeah, she's like, well, he's in Cancun. Yeah. So, and when he called and said where he was, of course, the feds are already listening. So as soon as they hear, they're on their way there. Yeah. But like I said, they arrested him on 
March 1st, 1998. Yeah, he said he went and walked out the door. They come up to grab him. He goes, are you FBI? Yep. Oh, thank God. I'm glad to see you. <laughs> said, we need to talk. He said, yes, we sure do. <laughs> I guess he, he was worried to death somebody was coming to kill him. Oh, yes. Now, the next day, uh, Steve and Michelle Chambers, Kelly Campbell, and four others were arrested. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were flying back into Charlotte. They went ahead and scooped them all up. Yep. They done it in like one big swoop. Mm-hmm. Now, on March the 12th, a Charlotte grand jury indicted the eight co-conspirators for bank larceny and money laundering. And the latter offenses was included because of how they spent the money. Hmm. So they were saying they were money laundering because they bought houses and cars and yep. rings and boobs. Yep, boobs. And butt suction. Yep. <laughs> and nine other relatives and friends were also charged with money laundering, and they had co-signed for safety deposit boxes like we talked about. Right. And used to store the money. And prosecutors opted to charge them on the grounds that they should have known the money was obtained illegally. I'm sure they knew. Oh, God. Yeah. And on similar grounds, four other people were ultimately also charged with money laundering. Hmm. Now, all but one of the defendants pleaded guilty. They received sentences ranging from probation for several relatives to 11 years and three months in federal prison for Steve Chambers. Right. Who was also fined more than... Three million five hundred thousand, and the only defendant to not plead guilty was Chambers' attorney Jeff Guler, and he was found guilty of money laundering and sentenced to eight years in prison. Mm-hmm. By comparison, David Gantt served seven years in prison and fined twenty six thousand dollars, but he was released in two thousand six. So he got out early. He got out after serving five years. Uh, Michelle Chambers received a harsher sentence than. Uh, David Gant, she got seven years and eight months because she had violated several bond conditions. Hmm. And I think she even uh, tried to hide that ring. Yeah. That that $43,000 ring. Yeah, she's like, well, they won't, they, won't, they won't look for this one. Yeah. What the hell are you going to do uh, with it? Yeah, three-carat ring. Three, yeah, hide that rock. <laughs> and on the rundown on what everybody was sentenced, and then we'll go on. Um, Kelly Campbell was uh, sentenced to five years and ten months. Michelle was seven years, eight months. Mm-hmm. And Steve was 11 years, three months. Mike McKinney got 11 years and six months because he was basically going to be the hitman to, to go back and to get him. Kill David Gant. Yeah. Eric Payne, one of the accomplices, was like six years or six and a half years. And, he was know, one of them just got the $100,000. Yeah, and Scott Grant, I think all he done was got some money and hid the van. He got four years and seven months. And then David, like I said, we got seven uh, seven years, six months, and I think we I think we got a, got him out in five. Yep. And it was later confirmed by the FBI that more than 88% of the stolen cash had been located and accounted for, uh, but more than $2 million is still missing to this very day. Hmm. Yeah, Steve Chambers finished serving his sentence in uh, November 2006. So all these people are out of jail by now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 2009, he reported that Chambers had chosen to describe himself as a changed man. Okay. Yeah. And like, like I said, uh, Gann is now living in Florida somewhere, working for a construction company. His wife divorced him after all this, of course. And but uh, He's remarried and got a kid. You think about it, man. This would have worked. Yeah. He's lucky. He's really lucky they didn't shoot him in the head when he drove the thing full of money up and just left him there in the van. All they'd have to do is take the money and run, and nobody would know anything. I know. They got to spend too much money. 
yeah, the whole plan would have worked if they would have sat on that for a couple of years. Now, I don't know. Eventually, they, they may have gotten caught, but I don't know. The one that done all the work, got, he didn't get nothing. He, he took what money he could take with him and run. You know, he said he was kind of thinking about backing out, and that morning he was on the way to work, and the song come on, take the money and run. He yep. saw it as a sign. That said, was a sign. I need to do it. Yep. So, so it's pretty crazy. But even after they got out of prison, they're all out now. But even after they got out, they still had to pay restitution. It was several million dollars for oh, each yeah. of them. And they don't get any tax return, don't, any kind no. of re, uh, refund or anything. They take everything. Yep. Yeah. But David Gant, he said, um, he was quoted as saying, prior to, I would have never considered it, but one day life kind of slapped me in the face. Damn. He said, I was working sometimes 75, 80 hours a week for eight fifteen an hour. I didn't even have a real home life because I was never there. I was working all the time and unhappy, which is understandable considering how old I was at the time. I felt cornered, and one day the joking in the break room about robbing the place suddenly didn't seem so far-fetched. Right. Plus that credit card bill. <laughs> yeah, credit card bill done it all. That's what I've done it. Yeah. But just a little bit on David Gant that we failed to mention. He was a Gulf War veteran. Yep. They had never been in trouble with the law or anything. Nothing. Didn't have a record at all. No. But he said this, um, spending all that time in jail, uh, really changed his life too. You know, right after they called him, you know, they asked him if he'd have done it again. He's like, well, I've already been judged. I've already been sentenced. So I guess I'd say, yeah, I'd probably do it again. Now, if you ask him now, he might change his mind. But at that point, he's like, you only get this kind of opportunity once in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. All this craziness did inspire a movie that I have not seen. Yeah, it's called Masterminds. With that Zach guy. Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, that's it. And Owen Wilson and Kristen Wiig. It was filmed 2014, released September 29, 2016. And David was a uh, consultant for this movie. Yeah, but he did, he couldn't get paid. No. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. But that is the case of the Loomis Fargo heist, which is just took place in our backyard. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they were from over here in Lincoln County next door. That's crazy, man. <laughs> I remember when all this went down. I do, too. I was like, wow. Yeah. This was the second largest heist in U.S. history. Yep. And they could have got away with it. They could have. That miss dumb. Yeah. We started talking about this. I'm like, I don't know. I want to do this. Everybody always makes fun of these people. And <laughs> I guess it's a good reason to. It does get dubbed the hillbilly heist. <laughs> yeah. Because of how stupid they were. I mean, they had a good plan. Well. If they just stuck to it. Yeah. If they could have just stayed out of it. Yeah. It was addicted to the spin, I guess. Yep. All right, Dale, we're going to get out of here. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is The the Crack Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.